Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I'm Tom Crocker, uh, one of the elders here at ICC, and it's my privilege uh, this morning to share with you. Now, Jordan asked me uh, if I would do this teaching uh, on this last Sunday of our Christmas series. It didn't really dawn on me till this week that today is the 31st. And I don't know if he was thinking about old Father Tom or time with old Father Tom um, being the old man here. I guess I'm sending the old year out and uh, we'll welcome the new year tomorrow. It's just good to be here (laughs) and good to be with you. In our Christmas uh, series, Out of Darkness, we have been focusing on different people involved in the Christmas story and the contrast of how the gift of Jesus brought them from the places of darkness in which they were walking in into the light. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We had come home from a family Christmas celebration Christmas uh, night <clears throat> walked into the house everything was calm and we walked in lights on all of a sudden our neighborhood took a power outage and all of a sudden we're in the dark so we scrambled around Paula lit candles and I went and got our little uh, electric light lantern and flashlight and we're going around in the dark trying to find our way but how neat it was that as the light shined the darkness dispelled because of the gift of Jesus there is no area of darkness that the light cannot penetrate and overwhelm And we've been learning from those we've highlighted these last few weeks how the light of Jesus can overwhelm the darkness of silence, despair, shame, and fear and move us into a life of presence, hope, purpose, and faith. We have been reminded how the gift of Jesus changes everything and that living in the hope of Jesus fulfills even the darkest and hardest places of our life. Today we will conclude our series with a look at the wise men and how the gift of Jesus can move us out of the darkness of hostility into the light of peace. 
Matthew 2, 1 through 18 actually picks up where Luke leaves off with the birth and emphasis of Jesus before Mary and Joseph eventually return to Nazareth. I think some of you probably know this because I've shared it before, but our family has a tradition on, on Christmas Day. We have breakfast and we have a good time together, Paula or Ganny, <laughs> as, they, as we all know her, does a great job of putting together stockings, and uh, they're fun, little cheesy stuff, but some neat stuff too, and they unpack them and have a good time, and we all celebrate. But one of the most important times of that morning is our family worship that's around the acting out, if you would, of the Christmas story. And our grandkids have been doing that. Ten years ago, we, at least ten years ago, we started. So that's, that's kind of a huddle. We've done this in different places, in the den, outside. This time, we did it in the garage. I didn't think about how I was going to have to show this to you and uh, how messy it is. But anyway, you can see the difference. They've grown up a little bit. But every year, we have let them, through the narration of the Christmas story, lead us in worship to embrace the Christmas story. So we have the birth of Jesus and we have the shepherds who come uh, to honor and to, to celebrate. And so they, they act that out. And I think the next slide shows the shepherds. We have black sheep. <laughs> this year we added, I think it was the first year we've ever done it. We added the wise men. <laughs> I don't know why, but it was timely. So there, we have the wise men. Now, I have to pause on this picture. I didn't get permission from any of these grandkids to show this, so I may be in trouble, but one of them's in the room. Well, all of them, I mean, not all of them, but every one of them that's in the room was in the pictures or in the acting out. But there is something very special about three rugged high school boys depicting part of the story, and in this case, the wise men and representing the bowing before the Christ child. Melted my heart, I know. So let's read the story. Matthew 2, 1 through 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, 
in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew really doesn't say how many wise men there were. There are a lot of conjectures about that. But the idea that there were three, no doubt, comes about by the number of gifts that were given of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And also, though it's beautiful on Christmas cards and efficient with depicting manger scenes, the scene of the wise men of the stable is really not accurate. For we saw in the text that when the wise men came, they came to the house. A while ago, I said that Matthew sort of picked up where Luke left off. And it is apparent that Mary and Joseph remained in Bethlehem for a while. We know that even after he was born, they went to Jerusalem for the dedication ceremony and the purification. And that was just a little over a month when that had took place. So there's this sense that they were still in Bethlehem, but somehow had found them a way to settle into a house there. Remember, that's Joseph's hometown. So no doubt there was opportunity. 
There's also the reference that the angel makes to the child. That word itself is more than an infant. So we see that there was this settling in, but as the wise men came and Herod reacted, things became anything but settled. We, we know definitively, unfortunately, that Herod's questioning of the Magi to determine when the star appeared gave him a sense of when or how old Jesus could be or up to a certain age. Thus the order of execution of all infants two years of age and under, all babies. And though again there has been a lot of conjecture about who the wise men were, we really don't know much about them. We do know they came from the east to Jerusalem looking for the newborn Jewish king. And though we can't be certain, there is every reason to believe they may have just come from Babylon or that area of Persia. And there, if they had been in that place, they would have come in contact with Jewish exiles. They would have come in contact with a story of God and the anticipation and prophecy of the Messiah. Now these men studied the heavens. It was really a mixture of pagan belief and astrology, but it was also an early science of astronomy. For they studied the heavens and they saw a new star. And they understood that star to be heralding the birth of the long-hoped Messiah of the Jews. The incredible thing is that God was able to speak to them and lead them out of that awareness, out of that revelation of the star. God spoke to their hearts. He was drawing them to his work of sending his one and only son. And this is why this account is so very important to Matthew. For Matthew, from the beginning to the end of his gospel, is all about Christ coming for the whole world. You'll remember the very ending when Jesus said, go into all of the world and make disciples. That was Matthew's focus out of his gospel. It showed that Gentiles those who were foreigners, those who were non-Jews, could be and were indeed receptive to Jesus, even from the time of his birth. God was at work throughout the world, drawing men's heart to his provision from sin and the darkness engulfing the world. Before I came to ICC, about six and a half years ago now, I, uh, although being born of missionary parents in South America, but coming back at the age of six, from the age of six till I came to ICC, I hadn't been out of the country. I had not made any international trips. Since being here for six and a half years, I've made six. <laughs> kind of flipped my world. 
If you go on a trip, mission trip, whichever one it is, you'll discover immediately what I did. That as you show up, wherever it is, and I've been to India and I've been to Colombia and to Guatemala, but when you show up, God is already there. God is already at work. He's been at work. And he's stirring the hearts of people. And he's drawing men and women and children to himself. And he's raising up leaders and pastors. And we get to just come alongside and support and help and provide services of medical need to, for medical needs and dental needs and, 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 and housing needs. And, but most of all, heart need for Jesus. But we aren't. We aren't bringing God to them. God is there. We're just joining God in what he's doing and supporting them. That's what Matthew's picture is here. Yes, Jesus was born and he was born a Jew and he was born in Bethlehem, the very city of David. But the whole world was God's view and God's heart and God's activity of drawing them to himself. We're going to do Go Week in January, and that's an emphasis and a focus on that joining God in the whole world, in the nations. And I can't wait for us to experience that, and I invite you. That's a, a plug for what's coming. The wise men, or the magi, worshiped God openly. However, this openness is in sharp contrast to the indifference and hostility that Jesus faced from his own people. They had no idea when they arrived in Jerusalem and asked the question in Matthew 2, 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? How that would rattle Herod. <laughs> they unintentionally challenged Herod's reign. For you see, Herod was so jealous and so vicious and so evil that even he had put wife and sons to death because he deemed them a threat to his, to his reign. The wise men had unknowingly entered into the very seat of the spiritual darkness and hostility against the activity of God. This is the tension of the Christmas story. This is the tension. For you see, Christ's birth seems like it should have been a triumphant moment for God's people. At long last, here was the long-awaited Messiah whose coming signaled the end of oppression Pain and despair. The Savior was born. The angels had announced to the shepherds about the birth of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. But it wasn't long before the first century Bethlehem had to bury its slain babies. 
God had arrived in Christ, yet power of sin and death remained. We are truly gripped with the question, how could one small town bear to experience its brightest night followed by one of its darkest days? There is tension in the Christmas story. That heart-gripping tension is the full Bethlehem experience. Is this not also the real and present tension for ourselves as we live today? Jesus gives us full insight to this tension in John 3, 19 through 20. As he speaks about his coming, he makes it very clear about the judgment. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The blessing of light is that just as we found on Christmas evening is that when it shines in the darkness, it reveals a way to go. It reveals safety, it reveals an opportunity, it brings help. But there's something else that light does in darkness. It reveals what's in the darkness. And when there's evil in the darkness, that evil doesn't want to be noticed and shown. It resists the light. William Barclay, a Bible scholar of yesteryear, really, that I sort of cut my teeth on, says this of Herod. Herod was afraid that this little child was going to interfere with his life, his place, his power, his influence, and therefore his first instinct was to destroy him. He goes on to say something even more gripping and daunting. Here is a terrible illustration of what men will do to get rid of Jesus Christ. If a man or just if a person is set on his way, if he sees in Christ someone who is liable to interfere with his ambitions and rebuke his ways, his one desire is to eliminate Christ. And then he is driven to the most terrible things. For if he does not break men's bodies, he will break their hearts. This is the fullest expression of the hostility against Christ. Can I remind us? Or even just go there. Before Christ is in our lives, we live with that hostility in us. That's us. Before Christ. And as Christ's followers, we still will encounter in various degrees 
that hostility daily for this world is broken and sin and death and hostility is still rampant. So how do we move out of the darkness of hostility and live fully in the light of the promised peace? Well, though the story of the wise man inspires us, it's really not about the wise man. In response to the horrific slaughter of the Jewish male babies in Bethlehem, Matthew quotes Jeremiah. You'll remember Jeremiah. He is the author of Lamentations where we spent all fall unpacking. He quotes Jeremiah who originally expressed the lament of mothers who grieved over the sons of Israel who were sent into exile. Matthew says what happened is a fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. You see, as the Jews were taken to exile, they passed by the burial place of Rachel, the wife of Jacob, whose name God changed to Israel, who was the father of the 12 tribes. And in Jeremiah 31, 15, he declares, thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew is now drawing attention by quoting Jeremiah in response to the Bethlehem massacre. The reality that Israel was still in exile. They were still in spiritual exile. They were still in darkness, estranged from God, and they were in desperate need of redemption, of salvation. But if you read on, in Jeremiah 31, where that quote is taken of the weeping, you actually see that Jeremiah climaxes with the joyous promise that God would establish a new covenant with his people. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, Behold, a new, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In just a little bit, we will participate in communion. And celebrate this new covenant. On the night of his arrest, as they were eating, Matthew says, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant. That's what Matthew is saying. And in John 3, 16 through 17, we 
see how to pass from darkness to light, from hostility to peace. We see how to pass from the person of Jesus, for he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He says later on the world was condemned already. But he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. My dad, as a missionary, came back to the States and became a pastor. He actually was a church planner. He started a church in Memphis. Pastored that for eight years, then became a director of missions in the Shelby County area. And, um, he was a special, a special person in my life. He's been gone 14 years. I, I don't know why, I just sort of missed him more this year. He was a little guy, short guy, shorter than me. <laughs> in fact, when he preached, they had to use a platform for him to step up on because they always had the podium, you know. I mean, he, this is old school, way back. Well, they still use pulpits, but he had to get behind the pulpit. And he was old school. He was a meek, mild kind of man, but when he got behind that pulpit, he got intense. <laughs> I guess you would say he, he got it on. <laughs> my, my sister, I asked my mom one day, why does dad get so mad when he preaches? <laughs> He just got real intense. I don't remember. I don't remember our, any of his sermons. <laughs> I remember him and his blessing. But I do remember a story he told. I think when I tell the story, you'll realize why. It gripped me and stayed with me. You know, I... Uh, <laughs> It may have been one of them preacher stories, I don't know, but I think he told it as truth. <laughs> and he was, he was telling a story about this man that was the operator of a drawbridge back before the technology took over. They had to manually lower up and raise the, the drawbridges, and it was a railroad track bridge. And this man was responsible for that. When the ships came through, he'd raise the bridge. And then, of course, as the ship or boat went on and the, before the train started coming, he'd lower it. Well, Dad shared this in this story. He said that one day he brought his young son to work with him. And he was playing around and off somewhere playing and a ship had come through, so the operator had raised the bridge. And then he heard in the distance the sound of a train coming. And he knew he had to lower the bridge in order for the train to pass safely. And it was a passenger train full of people. 
And before he started to lower the bridge, he looked down and he noticed his son was playing in the very gears of that bridge, the massive gears. He was right in the middle of it. And he knew that if he lowered the bridge, it would take the life of his son. And with a heavy heart, knowing the fate of that train without that bridge, he lowered the bridge at the cost of his son's life. You see, without him lowering the bridge, those men, those women, those children on that train were, were doomed. They were condemned. But it cost his son's life. You can probably see why that story has stayed with me. I probably had nightmares. I think we make... I think we can overdo putting human experience and emotions on God sometimes. Not that the Bible doesn't use language to represent human feelings and human gestures about God. He does. It does. But we cannot make the mistake of thinking of what God did with His Son, Jesus as a some sort of stoic interaction that he just did in a transaction, in transactional way. God wants a personal, loving, meaningful relationship with each and every one of us. That's his desire. And he sent his son not to condemn because we were already condemned. We were already on the train without the drawbridge down because we were broken in a broken world. We were already going our own way. But God sending his son at the cost of the life of his son as a sacrifice for us made a way for us to pass from the hostility that's within us against God. The desperate need we have for God that we can't get to God on our own. He made a way that we could pass from that into the light and the peace that comes from knowing personally God himself through Jesus. That's what was the Bethlehem experience. Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. Ephesians 2, 13 through 14, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He says later on, he has done away with that hostility. 
Jesus is how we move out of the darkness of hostility to live fully in the light of his promised peace. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. This morning we're going to take some time to pray, respond to what God may be stirring in your heart. And that may just be sitting or standing in your, in your place there. You might, you might reflect on how God has brought you to that peace already. You might just take a moment to embrace and acknowledge what he is, what it cost him to do that, but how he's provided that. And just in gratitude, place yourself before in worship to Christ. Recognize that he's provided a a new path, just as he did the wise men, to to go and, and avoid the hostility, to be removed from the hostility. Christ has given us a new path to remove us from the hostility. Or maybe maybe you're facing some struggle either in the, from the past or in this present time. And you need God to, to speak to you in a special way to provide for you, just like he did Joseph. Do you find it intriguing that in speaking to Joseph, he says, go to Egypt. There was probably, there was a large colony of Jews there. He could have gone there and been among them, but what was he gonna take with him? Oh, wait a minute. The wise men had just given him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Maybe it's, Maybe it's recognizing not only how God has given you peace in Christ, but how he's provided. And that the anxiety that you're maybe struggling with right now can be brought up to the Lord and be, you be reminded how God has provided, how God has been providing and brought peace in that provision. Yeah, I know The hostility is still around us, even as followers of Christ. But Jesus said, I give you a peace. I leave with you a peace, not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Maybe we need to pray and just say, God, I'm in the midst of hostility. Be my peace in that hostility. We'll have prayer counselors down here as well. If that's something that would be helpful, they can sit with you on the front row and just pray. This is a time to simply pray as the band comes. Let me pray for us as we start. Father God, we come to you and recognize that you are our peace. You are our provision. 
you have made a way from light, from darkness to light, from hostility to peace. And Lord, stir in the hearts of each one how you need to prompt them to draw near to you right now. Let them come to you. In thanksgiving, let them come in worship. Let them come in openness and honesty about need, about anxiety, about struggle. Let them come to you. In the midst of the most fierce hostility around, let them come to you and find you the peace that they need. Meet us right here, Lord. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.